Jerry and team for leading us this morning. We, uh, we're going to continue uh, in worship with our message so you guys can uh, head back to your seats. We're there, right? I'm almost on vacation. I can only apologize. Um, no, we are, uh, it is time for us to come to God and uh, hear his word. So <clears throat> we've, been, uh, con- we've been starting a sermon series a couple weeks back looking at summer stories, looking at the parables of Jesus. And uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when I started that series, uh, I told you about the Shema, the Old Testament uh, keynote phrase for the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. And Jesus knows his Old Testament. And Jesus invites those who have ears to hear, to hear. And not just to hear what God is saying, but to listen, to respond, to obey. And so this morning, uh, we, it struck me as we were singing all of these beautiful songs, how transformed our lives would be if we fully believed the words that we sung. So often we gather together on a Sunday morning, we sing beautiful things, and then uh, we go back to our weeks and our lives are consumed by the worries and uh, the cares of our world, by our job, by our family situation, by our other priorities. And yet there is good news. There's always good news for God's people because of God. So this morning we get to hear about how the kingdom of God starts as something so small grows because God's love and God's power always grows into something big and beautiful that transforms everything around it. So we have just four verses we're going to read together this morning from Matthew chapter 13. We'll start at verse 31. Jesus tells two very little parables here about the little present kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples and the listening crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of a a garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. That literally happened in our backyard. A magpie came and landed in a big mustard plant that's taking over our backyard. It's amazing. Jesus told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into his 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. So that uh, this so was fulfilled what, the, what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouths in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So far, the reading of God's word. When I graduated from high school, every year gets further and further away, I decided I was going to run away from my hometown to a place as far as I could imagine to go. I wanted to get away from a small town, Ontario. I wanted to explore the world. I wanted to see something else. And so I ended up in a little Christian college in the northwest corner of Iowa. 
So, you might not think I had a great imagination. Certainly there are further places in the world. But genuinely, in high school, that was as about as far as I could think to go. And so I choose to believe that it wasn't that I had such a good plan, but rather that God had bigger and better plans for me than what I had for myself. And actually, that God always has bigger and better plans for his people than we have for ourselves. Anyway, my dad had been a student at Dort College back in his day as well. And on the day that my family drove me to university, we stopped and had an afternoon with one of the guys who had been a college roommate of my dad and spent some time with his family. That same afternoon, by coincidence, it seemed to 18 or 17-year-old me, that family's pastor also stopped by their house. When he found out that I was going to be a college student in town, he said, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? And so the next Thursday, it was no big deal. We went out and had a cup of coffee in Sioux Center, Iowa. And he paid. It was great. It maybe took two hours of our time and I think probably $3 or maybe even $4. It was a small thing. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And at the end, he asked me, you want to meet again next week? So we did. And for most every Thursday for four years, Pastor Mark took me out for coffee. He always bought me a coffee. And we talked. I tried to do the math a while back, but it was hundreds of hours of coffee time that led to mentorship, to me volunteering as a student at the church where he was a pastor, to new friendships, to parties. We, Kaylee and I had our graduation party in his home in town with our friends and family. It led to me living with him for several months while I was looking for a new apartment. It totally changed my life. I'm still good friends with Mark to this day. And it started with maybe $3 and one cup of coffee. The kingdom of God always begins small. I want to tell just one other story, as I shared with you earlier, uh, trying to give us eyes to see and ears to hear the parables of Jesus. And so trying to tell stories that use examples from everyday life in Calgary. Uh, And so this is one I shared on YouTube earlier this week. It's about 30 seconds, uh, and I hope it'll open our eyes to hear. The kingdom of God is like a teenager learning to drive. And every time that teen is stuck in traffic, she says a little prayer. Years later, decades down the road, she finds that she is a patient and kind and understanding person, eager to love others and to make space when people need it. That's it. That's me stuck in traffic. We tend not to be impressed by little things, I think. We tend not to be impressed by one cup of coffee, by uh, one day's commute. We tend not to be impressed by one little mustard seed or a little bit of yeast. But the smallest things, given time, make a massive difference. Or at least they can. 
Because here's the trick. We're not impressed by small things because some small things just stay small. Some small things come to nothing. Sure, other things grow to be large and beautiful to change our lives. But sometimes a small thing is just a small thing. So how can Christians know the difference? Well, we can't, of course. It's impossible to know in the moment which small, beautiful thing, which small act of obedience will grow into something powerful and transformative and which will simply be what it is. We can be confident that a child will grow up, but we can't know if a small act of patience will affect our whole lives. We can't know in the moment if one cup of coffee is just a cup of coffee or if it's, ever, if it's ever going to be anything more. And so I have a question for you. This is my suggestion, my question. And then I want to return to the model of Jesus and see what God has for us. If we can't know the future, as so often we try to do, and if we have so many challenges and opportunities in our lives, where should we start? Where should we focus our energy My suggestion to you is that we should find out. You should find out. What is God calling you to do that you're passionate to do, even if no one else shows up? That is, even if it never grows. What is God calling you to do that you are passionate to do, even if it never grows, even if no one ever joins you? Oswald Chambers writes this in uh, his daily devotionals, My Utmost for His Highest, which I read most mornings. On on July 28, he says, uh, we we tend to think that if Jesus Christ compels us to do something and we're obedient to him, then he will lead us to great success. We should never have thought that our dreams of success are God's purposes for us. In fact, God's purposes may be exactly the opposite. We have this idea that God is leading us toward a particular end or desired goal, but he's not. The question of whether or not we arrive at a particular goal is of little importance. And reaching it becomes merely an episode along the way. What we see as only the process of reaching a particular goal or a particular end, God sees as the goal itself. And then he continues, one more slide here. God's training is for now, not for later. God's purposes are for this very minute, not for some time in the future. We have nothing to do with what will follow our obedience. And we're wrong to concern ourselves with it. What people call preparation, God calls the goal itself. God's purpose is to enable me to see that he can walk on the storms of my life right now. If we have a further goal in mind, we're not paying enough attention to the present time. However, if we realize that moment by moment obedience is the goal, then each moment as it comes is precious. I think that Oswald Chambers is right about this. I think he's right that God is always focused on the present. 
God is always focused on the process that he is taking us into and through right now. And if that's true, then what should we do? We might feel like some future thing, some goal is needed. We might look at our church and say, oh, the church needs a new ministry over here. We need to, we need to make that happen. We might look at our neighborhood and say, oh, our neighborhood needs a new program or activity. We might look at our school and say, oh, the school is, needs another voice or to make some change. But we can never be sure if our small acts of obedience will grow. And because God's training is for now, not for later, again, I want to suggest to you that our eyes should not be on the growth, but our eyes should be on doing what God is calling us to do, what God gives us passion and ability to do, even if it never grows, even if no one else ever shows up. One of the biggest mistakes that we make as Christians is pursuing growth as an end into itself. I've said to you many times as a congregation that living things grow. And it's true. One of the marks of God's blessing is that living things grow. But we always need to remember that living things do not grow because they're trying to grow. Living things grow because of who or what they are. A mustard seed doesn't grow because it's trying to grow. Uh, it grows into a tree because God has a specific plan and purpose for it. And it is doing that purpose. Leaven or yeast doesn't have to try to affect all the bread around it. It just chemically reacts with the sugar or the water in the bread in the loaf. And things change. Likewise, even a teenage driver might not try to become a more patient person. He or she might simply realize with wisdom that when they're stuck in traffic, they're in a situation beyond their control. The same is true that a child can't get taller or older simply by trying. It comes with time and with God's blessing. If we try to create or do something, and the purpose of our creation is that it be big or that it be finished, we betray God's purpose, and we exhaust ourselves. We can become so quickly empty, so quickly frustrated, so quickly discouraged when our minds and hearts are always on the goal ahead or the growth that we think is needed. Make no mistake, Satan has also read the Gospels. Satan also knows that living things grow and that growth starts small. Consider your own life. The temptations, the weaknesses, the struggles that you have and the shame that you live with. It often begins small too. Satan's temptations promise endless growth, endless ease, endless happiness. Jesus tells these parables about the kingdom of God, but they're about growth and creation of something new, something beautiful, something better. Satan has never created something new because 
Demons don't create. Demons are not entrepreneurial. They're not making new things. Satan can only take what already exists and make it grow in a misguided direction. He takes what is and twists it. Misshapen. Makes it misshapen. Satan can talk a big talk and promise many things, but he never creates. He misdirects, he twists, he finally destroys. And all of that is change, if not growth. But this is the reason why Christians don't just pursue growth or pursue only growth. Because growth in the wrong direction leaves us twisted. It leaves us overextended. It leaves us exhausted. It leads to destruction. God makes things to grow. But God's purpose is not that eventually we would grow. God's purpose is to shape us in every moment. God's not just interested in the end product that someday we'll become. God has not set up this world and left it to its finish. Nor, as we sung, has Jesus died for us and then, and then just allowed us to live our lives as we are and finally, eventually come back to get us. God is actively involved in your life and in our world in the present. To put this all another way, the goal of the Christian life, like the goal of the kingdom of God, is God. The goal of the Christian life is God himself. Even, the grow, even a beautiful goal like let's grow, let's succeed, can misdirect us, can distract us away from God. The greatest gift that God wants to give us is himself and himself now. Whatever our situation Whatever our struggle, whatever our challenge, whatever our joy. So what should we do? What should we do with this parable? And what should we do with our own lives? As I said in the beginning, these parables of Jesus are not just for us to hear and listen, but also for us to understand and for us to obey, to, to walk in. Scripture says that God has... Uh, set good paths for his people that we might walk in them. So what shall we do? If some of the biggest and best things begin ever so little, but God doesn't call us to focus on growth or to focus only on growth, again, I want to suggest that we need to search our hearts and call you to search your heart and me mine. What is God calling you to do? that you are passionate and equipped to do, even if it doesn't grow, even if no one shows up. The way that we make sure that growth does not become an idol or success does not become an idol or the end product does not become an idol is to fix our eyes on God and on Christ. Why do I suggest this? Well, because... Even uh, this is where Jesus goes with his disciples as well. 
After Jesus tells all of these parables to his disciples, after he encourages the crowds who are listening to overhear, Jesus sends out his disciples, and in essence, he says to them, now you go do what I've been doing. So in Matthew 10 and in Luke 10, which we'll look at in a second here, Jesus says, go and do what I've been doing. And just like Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God, Jesus sends out his disciples in quite a small way. This is what Luke said, or what Jesus says in the gospel of Luke. He says, go, I'm sending you out like, lamb among, like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse, don't take a bag, don't take sandals. In other words, don't, don't make a massive preparation and don't greet anybody along the road. Don't get distracted. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest with them. If not, it will return to you. But stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. Again, don't get distracted. When you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what they offer you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near. But when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, in other words, when it doesn't go well, when you don't succeed, go into the streets and say to them, even the dust of your town, we wipe off your feet, our feet, as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. When Jesus sends out his disciples, he doesn't send them out in order that they succeed. He doesn't send them out promising them that everything will grow and everything will be well. He actually does exactly the opposite. He prepares them for saying, when you go, some places you will be received. Some places you will find success in other places you won't. But in every case, keep your eyes and others' eyes on God. On God and the, his kingdom, which has come near. The obedience that we do as Christians, we don't do because we want to grow, because we want things to be better, because we want personal success. Jesus calls us to do the obedience that we do, to do the things that he calls us to do because we desire God, because we want to be with him. Jesus says to his disciples in a far better way what I've done my best to say to you this morning. Follow what God is calling you to do. It may grow. It may not grow. But it always will start small. As that uh, short story or text from Luke 10 fades behind me, we, we, all of us know, some of us better than others, that Western culture tends not to welcome strangers into our homes. Most of us know that if we go and knock on the door of a stranger in Calgary, probably they won't invite us in. They might call the police. But Jesus sends us out nonetheless. The kingdom of God comes near nonetheless. God is not limited by our situation, not culturally, not personally. God is not surprised by the nuances of our own lives. But he invites us still to consider this. That whatever house you do go to on a regular basis, wherever you stay, wherever you hang your hat, 
Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. So for Christians today, the question is not, is the kingdom of God present? It is, Jesus says. Whether, whether the gospel has been received in a house and celebrated and welcomed, or whether it's been refused, the kingdom of God has come near, Jesus says. The question is whether we will receive the little beginnings of the kingdom of God. Whether we will receive the kingdom of God in our own hearts and in our own lives. You see, before Jesus sends us out to go and do, he first asks us to follow, to receive. We can live our lives here on earth, again, to use the pictures of Jesus. We can, use, we can live our life, and some of you I know do, without mustard. I don't know what's wrong with you, but some of you don't like mustard, don't like flavor. We can live our life without mustard. We can live our life without yeast. We can have flavorless food and we can have unleavened bread. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus holds out these pictures for us, not so that we would enjoy certain foods, but so that we would receive the good news that begins small in each of our hearts. And that we would allow it to grow within us. And then invite others to share in the goodness of what God has done and is doing in us. So as we close this morning, will you open yourself, your home, and your relationships to the good news of the kingdom of God? Will you allow the Spirit of God to fill every part of your life? It's easy to say that or to ask that in very general terms, right? Every part? Sure, Lord. But will you allow the Lord complete control even over one part of your life? God does not begin with everything. With the whole of our lives, God always begins somewhere with one part Maybe he begins with our finances. Maybe he begins with some very personal detail of our past or our present. Maybe God begins with a relationship of someone who we love or someone who's hurt us. And wherever that part of your life is, where you allow the Holy Spirit to, to move in and you allow the kingdom of God to take root and begin to grow, the kingdom of God and that place will never stop growing. When you open the door to your heart and to your home, when you let the Spirit in, God's kingdom and His Spirit will loom larger in your life and in your heart. The parts that we give Him will grow. The parts that we keep from God will just create more tension in ourselves and in our community. In what part of you must seeds of the kingdom of God grow so that God might be glorified, so that his church might be served and his name praised, and so that you can join more fully as a congregation to sing the praises of God's name, to celebrate not just the growth, but also the beauty and the life that Jesus has for you, for me, and for all of us. We end this morning with the words that Jesus often ends his parables with us. With, to those who have ears, let us hear.
what Jesus is saying to his church. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we love big and better. It's easy for us to gloss over the small things, to imagine they're not important, at least not until later. But you are a God who meets us in the present. God, in our congregation, we have so many joys. We thank you and praise you for the beauty of this summer. We thank you and praise you, each personally or as families, for different things. And God, we have so many challenges, so many struggles, so many worries, so many distractions. All of us as people have some part of our life, some part of ourselves, some part of our relationship that we yet hold back from you. And we say, no, Lord, not there. That part is only mine. So Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would plant, God, plant your seed, the seed of your kingdom in our hearts. In the dark places of the brokenness of our hearts, our lives, our homes, God, that is where only you can grow. And yet it is where you proclaim that when your kingdom comes and when the door is opened, that it will grow, that it will bring shade in a hot summer, that it will bring delicious food to hungry and tired people. So Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds, open our homes, that we might give ourselves more and more fully to you so that we might sing your praises more heartily each week, that we might surrender more and more of ourselves to you and see the joy, the goodness, the power, and the love of your kingdom. It's all for your name and your glory, Lord, that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.